What is the reason for the season? That's the question that is asked so often during this time of year. And you know the answer. Jesus is the reason for the season. Our society has largely forgotten that Christmas is about Christ. But even though Jesus has been lost in all the wrapping paper, I think most people still know. Jesus was at least the original reason for the season. And they're surely reminded of it in some measure every year. As Flannery O'Connor would say, Christmas is Christ-haunted, even for those who don't know Him or reject Him. We don't need to study the stats. We know that most people aren't Christians. Why is that? That's the question I want to deal with this morning. Why is it? Sure, there are many millions of people who have not heard the Gospel. But if a person lives in this country, if a person lives in this city, at a minimum they have access to the Gospel. And many of them have heard the Gospel. And yet, unbelief persists. It is pervasive. When there is so much light available, how is it possible that people remain in darkness? Our passage in John 12 this morning is the conclusion to the first of two parts within the Gospel of John. The book of the signs, as many theologians call it. The first 11 chapters present seven signs. Jesus turns water into wine. He cleanses the temple. He heals an official son. He heals a lame man. He feeds the 5,000. He then heals a blind man and even raises Lazarus from the dead. These seven signs that organize the first 11 chapters of the book of John are for a purpose, a purpose that we're given at the end of the book. In John 20, verse 31, tells us that while Jesus did many other signs that were not written in the book of John, these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. As we come to chapter 12, these signs have been completed. Many people have flocked to Jerusalem to see Jesus because He has done these signs. But then in our passage this morning, in chapter 12, verse 37, we read that though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. Sure, some had believed along the way. His disciples had believed. But by and large, most did not believe. And this leads us to a very important truth in the book of John. Dan talked about this last week. John makes it clear that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light in at least two ways. First, He's the light 
and that He reveals God to us and God's way of salvation for those with eyes to see, for those with the eyes of faith. Jesus is the Word of God. He is secondly the light in that He brings life. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So revelation and life. But here's the the thing. The same light that can bring sight can also cause blindness. You see, when the sun rises, it makes it possible for those who were in darkness to see. But what if you're obstinate enough to stare into the sun, refusing to acknowledge its power? You will become blind. And that's what we see in our passage. The same light that gives sight to some can also cause blindness in others. The same sun that melts wax also hardens clay. In our passage this morning, we're going to see a call to believe and then we're going to be given a number of reasons why many do not believe. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll be reading verses 34 to 43. Verse 34 picks up in the middle of a narrative, but I will explain what came before it in my comments that follow. 1234, So the crowd answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the word spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what He heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage is divided into two parts. Verses 34 to 36, there is a call to believe. In verses 37 to 43, we are given three reasons so many 
do not believe. Let's begin with the call to believe in 34-36. to This is what we learn. These verses call us to believe in the light before it's too late. In the verses before the ones that we read, Jesus has been teaching His disciples as well as the crowds that are gathered around Him that the hour of His death has come. Verse 23. The signs have been complete. Now's the time to do what the Christ came to do. It's time for Him to go to the cross. The crowds then ask Him a question in verse 34. We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They had come to see Jesus. That's why they're there. Because they had heard about the signs. And presumably, they believe that Jesus is the Christ. They're convinced of that. But now as they hear Him speak, they do not understand. How could the Messiah die? The Messiah is supposed to remain forever. The Scriptures teach this. What did God say to David in 2 Samuel 7? He promised David that His throne would be established forever. This is reiterated in Psalm 89. It says, His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Isaiah 9, which speaks of the coming Messiah, of the increase of His government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. The Scripture spoke of the Messiah reigning forever. So they didn't understand how Jesus could speak of dying and being lifted up. They didn't understand what we now understand, that there would be two advents of the Messiah, two arrivals, two comings, and that following Jesus' death and resurrection, that He would be seated on His throne at the right hand of the Father until He returned. But Jesus doesn't go into all of that. He could have, but He doesn't. He doesn't even really answer their question. I think he's saying this. You have enough to go on. I've done many signs. They all show very clearly that I'm the Christ, the Son of God. Now is the moment of decision. Look at verse 35. He cuts to the chase. The light is with you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Then in verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. In other words, believe in the light. Believe in Me. Before it's too late. The evidence is in. Now is not the time to parse out the particularities of how the Son of Man remains forever, now is the time to believe. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. 
To understand this critical verse, I want to make sure that we're clear on what Jesus means by darkness. If light represents revelation and faith, darkness represents sin and unbelief. If light represents life, darkness represents death. What Jesus is saying is this. There are only so many hours in the day. The sun rises in the morning. It sets in the evening. The sun doesn't stay in the sky forever. Eventually, darkness falls. Eventually, the time will run out for being able to see and believe. Maybe the darkness of sin will come upon you. This happens when you hear the Gospel over and over again, but continue to hold back and remain in unbelief. When this happens, eventually you will become hardened to the voice of the Gospel. Or maybe the darkness of death will overcome you. It will come to all of us. And you do not know the time of its arrival. It may be sooner than you think. Now is the time to believe in the light before it's too late. But also to believe in the light because it brings life. As verse 36 says, those who believe in the light become sons of light. They move from death to life. Amen? They are born again. They are given life eternal. Remember what John says in chapter 1. The true light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He came to His own and His own did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Where are you this morning? Are you in darkness? Or have you come to the light? Have you received Him? Have you believed in His name? Let me urge you, friends, believe in the light before It is too late. At the end of verse 36, we see that Jesus departed and hid Himself from them. There would be no more signs. There would be no more long-winded discussions. There would be no more teaching to the crowds. They had all they needed to go on. The question is, would they believe? Some did, as we know. But many didn't. Look at verse 37 again. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. And why didn't they believe? And why do so many in our day not believe either? I think there are many reasons 
This is not an exhaustive treatment. This is one passage. But I think this one passage gives us at least three reasons why. First, unbelievers don't see that the Savior must suffer for sins. The first reason John gives for unbelief is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53.1. Lord, who has believed what He heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is verse 38. In the context of Isaiah 52.13, we see that the Messiah would be high and lifted up. He would be exalted. But later in that same passage, we also read that this same servant of the Lord would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By His wounds we are healed. Isaiah knew, as verse 41 tells us, that this spoke of Jesus, the Messiah's Glory. Isaiah, get this, did not see a contradiction between the exaltation of the Messiah and the suffering of the Messiah. He didn't see a contradiction. But he knew that many would not believe that a Messiah would suffer. Paul knew this too. Paul says Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. Folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks. The power of God. And the wisdom of God. How do you see it? Do you see the crucifixion of Jesus as necessary for your salvation? Do you know that that's the real reason for the season? Why did the Son of God take on flesh to die for our sins? Behold the Lamb. That's what John the Baptist says when he sees the Messiah coming who takes away the sin of of the world. Do you see that it was necessary that he be lifted up on a cross to pay the price for your sins and then raised on the third day to defeat the power of sin which is death? Only those who believe that's what Jesus came to do are saved. The rest, even if they may like Jesus, they remain in darkness. What about you? The second reason people don't believe is more complicated. But it's a repeated theme in the Bible and so we need to spend some time on it. Here it is. Unbelievers who won't believe eventually can't believe. Look at verses 39-40. to Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, 
He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The second reason people don't believe is because they can't believe. God has hardened their hearts. This truth does not set well with modern ears. But before we dismiss it too quickly as repulsive to our ears, I want to remind you that this is God's Word. This is a quotation from Isaiah 6.10 which is repeated in Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, and Romans. Of all of the authors of the New Testament, They quote this verse. 22 of the 27 books in the Old Testament were written by these men that quote these verses. One of the most repeated Old Testament quotations in the New Testament is Isaiah 6.10. It must be important. What does it mean? If you want to understand an Old Testament quotation in the New Testament, you need to go back to the context of the Old Testament quotation. The context of Isaiah 6 is Isaiah 1-5, where Israel has been repeatedly rejecting God as their king. Then in Isaiah 6, 1-7, God is seen as the king. You know the passage. Seated on his throne, high and lifted up, the angels around his throne declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in verse 8, God calls Isaiah to go and to preach to those who had rejected God as their king. Then we get to verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God is saying they are going to hear Isaiah's message, but they're not going to hear it. They're not going to get it. And the reason they're not going to get it is because they are going to continue rejecting God as their king. Isaiah's preaching will not create hardness and rejection, but it will strengthen the rejection that is already there. God will use the preaching as a judgment on them. He will further harden their hearts. Isaiah's preaching will solidify their previous rejection of God. The other reason why God was hardening Israel was to purify His people. In Isaiah, there are two groups of people. Those who identify as the people of the covenant, but who have broken the covenant, they will meet God's judgment. Then there is the remnant that is spoken of repeatedly in Isaiah. Those God was going to save. Isaiah's ministry would whittle down who the real people of God were. He would purify His people and make it clear who were His. There's an analogy here between Isaiah's ministry and Jesus' ministry. 
as Jesus continues to throw light on people throughout His life, many people reject Him as they had rejected Isaiah earlier. They were already in the dark. But then when the light shined, they were blinded by the light. They wouldn't believe, then they couldn't believe. God hardened their heart as He had done Pharaoh's earlier. He blinded their eyes. He closed up their ears. But some did believe they were children of light. The true people of God. Again, not a popular doctrine, but repeated in the Scriptures. And it brings up an important question that I think we need to clarify before we move on. We need to know that while God is absolutely, unequivocally sovereign over all things, man is also responsible. These two are not a contradiction. God is sovereign. He does harden people's hearts. But man is also responsible to believe the Gospel. This is taught clearly even if we just limit ourselves to the Gospel of John. There are three reasons briefly that I see this. For one, there are commands to believe. Look at verse 36. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light. The command to believe carries with it the responsibility to believe. The second reason I see responsibility in John is because of the signs. Not only a responsibility to believe, but the opportunity to believe. Here's the evidence. And yet they still choose to reject Him. The third reason is that John tells us clearly that people who don't believe are rejecting the revelation that they have received. Look at verse 48. Jesus says, the one who rejects Me and does not receive My words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Unbelief is framed as rejection. It is a choice. When it comes to the Gospel, this is the thing that helps me the most on this. We're not dealing with morally neutral people. It's not as though people want to come to Jesus, but God has barred the door shut. That's not the picture at all. The people God hardens are not itching to come to Jesus. They're running in the opposite direction. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. And unless God intervenes, people will persist in their unbelief. That's how powerful sin is. Nobody will come to Jesus, we read in chapter 6, verse 44, unless the Father draws Him. We'll just keep running. Unless we're born of the Spirit, we'll never become children of light. Unless God opens the eyes of the blind, we will never see. We will remain in darkness. I love the way one commentator puts it. 
The text contains a tension that remains unresolved. People are responsible for unbelief. And God is responsible for faith. Both are true. Unbelief reveals the power of our sin. Faith reveals the power of our God. And the power of sin leads me to the third and final reason for unbelief. Unbelievers say they believe in the light. Some of them do. But in fact, really love darkness. After John tells us that God blinds eyes and hardens hearts, he says in verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Similar to Isaiah, there are two groups of people in John. Those who believe and are children of light and those who do not believe and are children of darkness. But here's the thing. It's not always obvious who is who. You see, the authorities say they believe, but I don't think that they actually do. At least not in the way Jesus is calling them to. Let me try to show you this from the book of John. I see it in three places. In John chapter 2, verses 23 to 24, we read, Now when Jesus was at the Passover feast, many believed in His name. When they saw the signs that He was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Literally, it reads, they believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe them. They say they believe, but they didn't really believe. We see something similar in John 8, which we'll cover next week. After Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, we're told in verse 30, many believed in him. But then to this same group of people in verse 45, he says, you don't believe in me. There's a profession of faith, but apparently it's not true saving faith. Also, a parallel to John 12 is seen in John 5, verse 44. He says to the religious leaders, how can you believe? How? How is it possible for you to believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Very similar to what we see in John 12. The authorities believe, but they keep it secret because they love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. You can't have faith if you love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. The glory that comes from God is seen in Jesus. In verses 23 to 24 of our chapter, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. How is Jesus' glory seen? In death. Not in the accolades of man, but through the rejection of men. But a rejection of men that is acceptance from God. God accepts 
His Son's unyielding obedience to His will. Obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus goes on in verse 25 to say, Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, those who believe in Jesus will prove their obedience by loving what Jesus loves. The authorities didn't love the light. They loved their life and were unwilling to risk it for Jesus. They say they believe in the light, but they really love the darkness. There are people all over the world who claim to believe in Jesus and maybe even really believe that they do. People all over this city that claim the same. And maybe even people in this church today who profess faith in Jesus but don't really love the light. What they really love is the world. They love the opinion of others. They love the security that material possessions provides them. They love the pleasures of the flesh more than they love the way of the cross. Some of them are nominal Christians. Christians in name only. What about you? If that is you this morning, if you are honest, you really love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God, you really love the darkness more than the light, let me urge you to walk in the light while it is light. Lest darkness overtake you. There will come a time when night falls on you. You will either be hardened by your sins so that you can no longer hear the voice of the Gospel, or you will die. Either way, whichever day comes first, on that day it will be too late. Believe in the light before it is too late. And for all of you, I want to urge you to walk in the light as children of light. So that your life reflects what you love. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Is it clear in your life what you love? Walk in the light. And lastly, for those of you who have loved ones who are not walking in the light, I want to call you to pray. The power of sin is great. That the light would shine and people would run from it. The power of sin is great. And without the power of God, no one will come into the light. No one will believe in Jesus unless the Father draws them. If God is sovereign over belief, let us storm the gates of heaven with our prayers, praying that God would break the stony ground of unbelief, 
that He would open ears, that He would turn the lights on, giving people eyes to see. Friends, if you are here today and you believe the Gospel, you believe because God opened your eyes. Praise Him for that. And then pray that He would do the same for others. Let us pray. Father, You sent Your Son who opened the eyes of the blind. Who brought life in a world filled with death. We can sometimes be amazed or perplexed at how pervasive unbelief is. But the real amazing truth is that any of us believe in light of our sin. We thank You. And we pray that You would open the eyes of those that we love to see the face of Jesus Christ and Your love in Him. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.